is Jimmy Scroggins. I'm the lead pastor at Family Church in West Palm Beach, Florida. Are you tired of going to conferences, reading books, and listening to speakers who tell you how to do church when you know that you cannot do what they are recommending? You've come to the right place on our podcast. We're going to give you principles, strategies, and ideas that you can implement right now with the resources you have at your church because this is church for the rest of us. Thank you for tuning in to today's Church for the Rest of Us podcast. Today's topic is the 1% rule for reaching your community. I'm Steve Wright, and I have the opportunity to serve as executive pastor here at Family Church. And today I'm with lead pastor Jimmy Scroggins. And our conversation today is really about the 1% rule of reaching your community. And so I'm really excited about this. And Jimmy, we want to help our listeners gain perspective about the mission field that they're on. And so if you could, would you unpack that a little bit and tell us what we mean when we talk about the 1% rule? Yeah, the 1% rule is really the 1% question. And we found that this resonates in the conferences that we do here, the Sharper Conference, as we have conversations with people around the country, this idea that we need to look at what it would take to move the needle 1% when it comes to lostness in our community. When you consider our context here in South Florida, we are in a massive sea of lostness, Steve. So we've got Palm Beach County where we live, it's just connected to Broward County just south of us, which is connected to Dade County just south of us. And these three counties, Palm Beach, Broward, and Dade County, make up what's called the Miami Metropolitan Statistical Area. And if you ever hear somebody say, oh, the the city of Miami has six and a half or seven million people in it, what they mean is there are six and a half or seven million people in these three counties. These make up the Miami Metroplex. We're at the northern end of that in West Palm Beach. Again, Broward County, where Fort Lauderdale is, is right below us. And then uh, Dade County, which is the city of Miami proper. Well, in this massive sea of lostness, I have all of these people that exist on a strip of land that's between five and 10 miles wide between the Atlantic Ocean and the Everglades. And it's literally about 120 miles long. It goes from the, the town of Jupiter, north of West Palm, all the way down to the Keys. And there's millions and millions of people compressed in this little little skinny strip of land. It's a very diverse group of people. People come here from the Caribbean and from South America. A lot of people move from the Northeast to come down here to retire or to do business. And then you have a bunch of just, you know, Florida crackers like me who grew up in Florida and we live here. And so this is a, this is a very diverse and very interesting area. Well, if we look at our own county, our county has about one and a half million people in our county. And so to move the needle 1% in a county of 1.5 million people means you have to move the needle 15,000 people. Wow. 15,000 people. So if you look at a church like Family Church and say, wow, you guys have grown. You guys have been listed as one of the top 100, top 50, you know, whatever growing churches in America. You guys have had all this success. You got a big staff. You got 10 campuses. You got multiple languages. You got a diverse church. It's incredible. <laughs> and they're right. We have been blessed and we're grateful for the success that God has allowed us to have. But the bottom line is who stinking cares because mm-hmm. we're not moving the needle. I mean, last year we had one of our best years of baptizing people ever. And what we baptized 350 people or whatever it was. But the truth is 350 people. Are you kidding me to move the needle? 1%. We've got to, we've got to have 15,000 new disciples. We're not even coming close. And when you consider all the evangelical churches in Palm Beach County, we have a massive, massive 
uh, sister church that we love called Christ Fellowship here in Palm Beach. And they have, I don't know, 25,000 people in church on a Sunday. And we have, you know, between four and 5,000 people in church every Sunday. And then we're the two largest churches in Palm Beach County. Well, you go from there and you try to add up all of the possible evangelical churches that you can. There is no possible way we have 100,000 people in evangelical churches on any given Sunday out of 1.5 million people. So take the 100,000 and say that they are somewhat disciples. And let's go ahead and double that because a lot of people don't come to church every week. So let's take 200. So let's say 1.3 million people in Palm Beach County not connected with any kind of an evangelical church. You still have to move the needle 13,000. You can add up all the baptisms at our church, all the baptisms at Christ Fellowship, all the baptisms at all the evangelical churches, I can guarantee you we're not coming close. We're, we're not even baptizing a third right. of that amount. Yeah. Moving the needle 1%. So when you want to look at your success, you want to pat yourself on the back and people want to give you accolades, or you want to say, oh, wow, look at all this success. We have all these people. We have all this good music. We have all these teenagers. We have Just think about the 1%, and it tells you where you're really at. Well, a quote that my dad taught me when I was a little boy was that if you use a small enough ruler, anyone's a giant, right? And so what we're tempted to do in our churches is find a church that we're doing a lot better than and compare ourselves, you know, to our, with our staff and our congregation to the churches that aren't doing that much. And then we think we're doing a great job. So, you know, really what we're talking about today is really understanding the mission fields where God has placed us and then actually owning the lostness and some of the brutal facts that you've given us today, Jimmy, are really important. I'm wondering, how do we help pastors and church leaders get their mind around that and to actually understand what needs to happen for them to reach their communities and their counties? Well, one of the things that happens when pastors start talking to one another, especially church planters or people have a church planting mindset, is all the pastors try to kind of one-up each other on how lost their community is. So we'll say, well, in my county, we've got more lost people and we're less churched and right, whatever. Right. And I've heard church planners give me statistics. <clears throat> You're planning churches in Birmingham, Alabama, you know, <laughs> and, and why they, that is the most unchurched place in the world. And, you know, people go up to Greenville, to, South yeah, Carolina, Greenville, South Carolina, there are, you know, they're in this, the belt buckle. Yeah. Yeah. This is where we need more churches. And here's the bottom line truth. I don't care if you're in Greenville, South Carolina, Hey, Hira, Georgia, Huntsville, Alabama, Los Angeles, California, or New York City in New York. I guarantee you we have tons of lost people in all those places, and we need more churches, more congregations. We need every church to be healthy. We need every church to grow that we can. Here here in West Palm Beach, Barna Research said that our city of West Palm Beach has the highest percentage, number one in the highest percentage of never-churched people of any city in America. And we're number 11 in unchurched people, total unchurched people. And so we know that we're in an unchurched place, but it doesn't matter. This is church for the rest of us. It doesn't matter if you're in a little town. It doesn't matter if you're an established church. It doesn't matter if you're in the Bible Belt or you're in the Northeast or you're in Africa or you're in Asia. It doesn't matter where you're listening today. Every single one of us needs to do better. We've got to move the needle. And I'll tell you what we decided a long time ago. We were not going to move the needle 1% by trying to add 13,000 new people to our church next year. That, that's just not going to work. So somehow we're going to have to find other congregations to partner with. We're going to have to start new congregations. We're going to have to find a way to level up and have a lot of churches leveling up, a lot of churches starting in order to even begin to approach that number of new disciples. 
Well, Jimmy, a lot of times when you start having this conversation, you know, in churches that I've served in in the past, you know, immediately you go to uh, cost. So, you know, if you're on staff and your pastor went away for a, a retreat or a conference or something, you know, he's coming back and he's heard something new that the other churches are doing. And typically those have a huge price tag. And so, you know, maybe we need to hire new staff. Maybe we need to bring in the next Billy Graham. We need to bring in some Christian celebrity. We, and so a lot of times there's a lot, you know, we think through that lens, but there's actually some concerns that, that you've mentioned that I think is really important to this conversation. Well, we want to, we all want to do the very best we can to put on the best show that we can on Sundays, right? So we're going to preach the best sermons that we can. We're going to be as creative as we can. We're going to try to have the best music that we can. We're going to try to make our stage look the best we can. So if you come to family church, we try to do the best we can with lights and we've got haze and we've got sound technicians and we've got, we've got everything that we can to try to, to try to make what's happening on the platform as attractive as possible. But I'll tell you this. We are not counting on any of that stuff to move the needle. And we know it's not necessary because when you go and look at the book of Acts, Steve, somehow Peter and John and the apostles full of the Holy Spirit were able to grow their church 3,000 people in one day at Pentecost. And then you look over in Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 4 and Acts chapter 5, the very next week they grew by another 5,000 people. So somehow these guys who'd never been to seminary had no smoke machine, no haze machine, no band. Honestly, they had no building, somehow went from zero to 8,000 in two weeks, and uh, they figured it out. So we know that church growth is possible apart from these things. And here's the deal. A lot of people go all in for putting on the most creative, most dynamic, most impressive Cirque du Soleil, MTV, whatever kind of splash they can make uh, on the platform. And again, I'm for that. But if you're counting on that to move the needle... The problem is that what you win people with is what you win people to. And you just constantly are in a position of having to one-up yourself. You're going to have to constantly exceed your last trick and do a better trick next Sunday. And that puts a lot of pressure, and it is financially crushing. And look, this is church for the rest of us. So most of the people listening on this podcast don't have massive budgets. If they were, they would not need church for the rest of us. <laughs> if, they had a, if they had somebody, you know, people who are listening to us who can preach as good as Bill Hybels and Andy Stanley, they don't need church for the rest right, of us. Right, They'll fill right. the arena on their own. But the rest of us have to find some, some more practical, some more realistic, honestly, some more Holy Spirit-powered methods because we're going to have to take the resources we have and do what we can to try to move the needle in our own communities. Well, you're right, Jimmy, and this is really, you know, important to all of us, a conversation that we should all be having. And, you know, it's it's important to us because obviously all of us are in ministry because we want to make disciples. We want to win the loss to Christ, and we want to see people come to Christ and grow in Christ. And uh, we so we want, to, we want to do that. But then when we act, actually think about the numbers of how much it costs for us to baptize that's one person, ridiculous. it's unbelievable. And so that's it's embarrassing. not— It's embarrassing. Walk us through that because I think when we did that for our church, it was kind of yeah. very eye-opening. You look at our church and go, wow, look, we're growing. Wow, we have all these campuses. Wow, we have all this staff. We have all this stuff going on. And we, and we do, and thank God for it. But we are spending millions of dollars. We are— opening new campuses and renovating buildings and hiring staff. And when you add all of it up, we are spending at Family Church about $20,000 per new disciple a year. And that's, I mean, that's embarrassing that that is the case, but that's what we're doing. Now, 
before you get to a high on your horse, all podcast listeners, I challenge you <laughs> to do your own math and look at what you're spending per disciple, because I'm telling you, we are spending too much. And this is the, this is the sad part about it. I mean, do we really want to spend millions of dollars and have all of this staff and they've all been to seminary? We're all working 40 and 50 and 60 and 70 hour weeks. And we're going to do all of that. And last year we baptized 350 and maybe next year we'll baptize 363 and then we'll do it again next year. And maybe we'll baptize 378 and maybe one of these days. I mean, do we really want to do this for incremental growth, put a few more people in the seats, have a little bit bigger auditorium, add one more service? Is that really what we all got into this for? Or do we want to see an explosion of gospel conversations, an explosion of Holy Spirit power really sweep through our region? That's what we want to see at Family Church. And I know that's what our listeners at Church for the Rest of Us want to see in their place as well. Well, Jimmy, I know that that exercise, when you walked us through that, that was really powerful, very meaningful. And I would encourage and challenge our listeners to do that for their church as well. Jimmy, a lot of times when we you hear these conversations, you know, pastors and conference speakers talk about what not to do. And so if we're actually going to move the needle, there, there's got to be some things that we've got to be intentional about, deliberate about. Talk to us a little bit about what it takes and what are some things that we actually can do. Well, I can tell you this. We want to come up with free stuff. We want to come up with the same tools that the apostles had at their disposal, and we want to start there. Now, thankfully, God's given us some more resources and we want to make the best use of those things as we can. But the core of what we're trying to do at church for the rest of us, the core of what we're trying to accomplish at Family Church, really comes straight from the Bible, uh, mostly from the book of Acts. You know, Jesus said, look, he wants us to go and tell every single person, every kind of person, panta ta ethne, every kind of ethnic group, every kind of person needs to hear about the gospel of Jesus, needs to become believers. They need to be baptized. They need to be taught. They need to be formed into churches. And if we're going to actually do that in South Florida, and if our listeners are going to do it in the places where they serve, then it just can't be the pros getting it all done. And I think it's a, I think it's, I, I really like the invest and invite strategy that many of us have embraced. Let's teach our people to go out and build relationships and they'll bring the people into the church house. And when they get in here, then the pros will get up on the platform who've been working on this message all week and we'll kind of we'll kind of harvest the crop. We'll we'll reel the fish in. And I think that is a valid strategy. And we also encourage people to to do that. But if that's your only strategy, it's just not going to happen. We have got to send the Joes out there. It can't be just the pros. And if you read the book of Acts, this is what you see. In the book of Acts, when, when, when Pentecost happens and the church in Jerusalem is established in the first few chapters, it's the apostles leading the charge. It is the apostles at the center of the church universe. They are the center of gravity for evangelism. But as you watch what God does is God allows persecution, frankly, led by St. Paul, persecution comes into the church of Jerusalem and the disciples are scattered. And when they get scattered, these lay people who've been won to Christ through the ministry of the apostles end up in this town called Antioch. And there, these uh, uh, new believers basically don't know any better. There's no apostles there. There's no, there's no bosses there. It's just the Joes. They don't know any better, but they keep doing what the apostles taught them to do in Jerusalem. So they keep meeting together from house to house. They keep praying for the lost. They keep sharing the apostles' teaching. They keep holding all things in common and giving money to the work. They keep doing what the apostles taught them to do. They're baptizing new believers. 
And it gets so out of control and the news actually filters back to Jerusalem. When you read the book of Acts, the apostles send a delegation from <laughs> Jerusalem to Antioch to try to get yeah. those lay people under control right, because right. And, they can't be doing it right. Can they? They must not be doing it right. There's no apostles there. And if you keep reading the book of Acts, what you find out is that the locus of activity, the center of of the universe for mission sending in the first century was not in Jerusalem where the apostles were. It's in Antioch where these lay people planted the very first church outside of Jerusalem that we're aware of. And so that's what needs to happen in South Florida. That's what needs to happen in every area where our listeners are are serving. We've got to go. We've got to get more people having more conversations about Jesus with people that they meet every single day. If we want to have millions of people hear about Jesus in South Florida, it's going to require millions, millions of believers having millions of gospel conversations. That's how we can get the gospel to every single person in South Florida so that every resident in South Florida would have multiple one-on-one opportunities to hear the gospel of Jesus and respond. Well, Jimmy, these are things that I think makes every pastor's heart beat faster. I mean, every pastor hears, you know, a podcast or a sermon like this, and they're like, yeah, that's what I want to do. That's what I'm excited about. That's why I got into ministry. That's why I made the sacrifices that I've made. And uh, But a lot of times, you know, just tendency, we look around at what other churches are doing, and maybe the pastor's sitting there thinking, you know what, I, I, I actually, pre- the sermon that Jimmy just preached, I preached that message. I did a four-week series on that last year, and we've got another series coming up. But one of the things that I think really helps us get traction is a way that you keep the vision in front of our people. So it's not like a one-month sermon series. And Jimmy, you're really good at really keeping vision alive in front of our people. So talk to us a little bit about how that's important and how you preach to lead. Well, some of that comes through our philosophy of what preaching actually is supposed to be. If you read 1 Timothy chapter 3, and when Paul says, hey, this is what, if you're going to appoint pastors to the different churches— He tells Timothy, if you're going to appoint pastors, make your pastor look like this. And you start reading through the qualifications on a pastor, and it's all this character stuff and all of this family stuff. And then there's this one little phrase that says, able to teach. And I think we've kind of made a huge mistake in training pastors and calling pastors to churches because Paul really majors on the character and the experiences that would prepare a person to actually lead a church more than he majors on the platform presentation. Mm. And I think we turn that upside down. So we want somebody who's like almost like an artist from the pulpit as our pastors. And we want them to look like an Abercrombie and Fitch model and preach like Spurgeon. And then the rest <laughs> of it, you know, we'll work with them. Right. And I think that's a, that's a horrible error. The reason that Paul presents it like that, I think, is that the pastor is supposed to be primarily the under-shepherd of that congregation. That is his primary role. His primary role is not the preacher. His primary role is the pastor, and preaching and teaching is a tool in the hand of the shepherd as he shepherds the flock that God's given him. And so we believe that theologically. We believe that from the Bible, and we practice it. So we're trying constantly, as we prepare our sermons at Family Church, how do we actually keep our vision in front of the people? And how do we use our sermons? Not so people step back and go, wow, that was pristine. That was artistic. That was dynamic. That We want them to go, wow, we're motivated to action. Because we were here, we want to help move the needle. 
We feel what the pastor is feeling. We're breathing the air that the pastor and the leadership of our church is breathing. We're, we're grabbing a hold of this vision. So you've got to keep putting this stuff out there. It can't be a series. It can't be an emphasis. It can't be a, a class. We do all of that, but it's got to be something that's just infused into the life of a church. And people always ask me this because they want to know the program. Pastors call and they come see us and they say, what is the program? But what is the program? But what is the program? And here's, here's the bottom line. It's not program, it's culture. It is culture and culture is led and culture is infused through leadership over time. And the platform and the pulpit is the best place to do that. And I can tell you right now, good programs will never overcome bad culture. Mm. Good programs will never overcome bad culture. We've got to create an evangelistic culture in our churches if that's who we want to be. Well, Jimmy, one of the things that you do well is you, you're really focused a lot of times on helping our people coming out of our messages and our Sunday morning experiences, helping our church realize what is it that disciples do. And so instead of having a uh, information or a knowledge-based sermon, it's really about rapid obedience. I was out on a uh, fish in a fishing tournament this past weekend, and uh, the guy was talking about, you know, you're preaching, and he's a guy that's coming through recovery and a dear right. friend of mine. And so I gave him the story that I always tell. I say, you know, Pastor Jimmy, when he preaches, it's like being in the locker room at halftime for a football game and you're down by seven. And in order in order for us to win the game, we've actually got to take the field and go back out and do something. When I said that, the guy said, you know, it's funny you say that because I'm always motivated. And I always feel like coming uh, out of our sermons and out of our Sunday morning experiences that there is something that I need to do. And that's really a mark of what discipleship really is. And Jimmy, you know, a lot of this really comes down to prayer and just just the understanding of what it means practically for us to move the needle. So talk to us a little bit about some of the strategies we've implored. Yeah, because it is it is about people doing something. But if you follow the biblical pattern and go back to the book of Acts where all of this stuff got started, they were doing at Pentecost, they were doing in the city of Jerusalem, they were doing in the city of Antioch what the Holy Spirit was leading them to do. And the reason they were open and empowered by the Spirit to do these things was because they were committed to focus prayer for themselves and for the lost and for their regions. And when you can see that all the way in, in Acts uh, chapter 1 and chapter 2, when the disciples, the apostles, after Jesus ascends to heaven, they're in a 10-day focused prayer meeting before the Holy Spirit comes on them, and they go and start this church mm-hmm. with thousands of people. And so one of the things that we've tried to do is copy that. And all the way through the book of Acts, God does all this amazing stuff. There's miracles, and people get saved and baptized, and people get taken out of jail and healed. But prayer is such a constant as you read the book of Acts. These people are praying, 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 praying. We've got to do that. And this is what I love about the idea of preaching to lead, the idea of of praying for the lost. These are two things that are free. Okay, right. You don't have to have a conference. You don't have to have a big budget to preach to lead. You don't have to have a big budget to pray for the lost. And so some strategies that we've done, we learned this from the North American Mission Board. We have a, we call it a 10-2 strategy from Luke chapter 10, verse 2. So at 10.02 every day, all of our people, we teach them to set their phone alarm or set their watch alarm. And at 10.02 every day, they pray Luke 10.2, that God would send more workers for the harvest. Uh, we teach people to fast. Well, most people at our church are new Christians or they're not Christians yet or they're new to this. They don't know how to fast. So we just say, hey, on the first Wednesday of the month, we call it first Wednesday fast. Would you fast even just one meal and take some time to pray for the lost people that you know? We pass out prayer cards periodically throughout the year. Ask people to write down three names of people that they know that are far from God. And it's amazing. When we first started doing that 
even with our own staff, you pass out the current, say, write down three, three names of people that are far from God that you are personally engaged with in your life. And you can see people sit back and think and look at the ceiling and they couldn't. Well, now we're seeing more moving that because we are intentionally training our, our even our leaders to engage with far from God people. But the people in the pews, the people in the seats, they actually know a lot of far from God people. They're related to them. They're living in the house with them. They're living in the cul-de-sac with them. They're sitting in the cubicle next to them. We write these things down, teach people to pray for them. All of this stuff is free. The other thing is we train people to have gospel conversations. So we use a tool called the Three Circles. Uh, the North American Mission Board has helped us promote this worldwide, but we use the Three Circles and we teach our Three Circles to our children. We teach Three Circles to our to our uh, teenagers at church. We teach Three Circles to senior adults. Every time we can, we teach the Three Circles and we want to equip people to have more gospel conversations because if we're going to reach millions of people, move that needle 1%, it's going to require focused prayer, but then it's going to require people to come out of the prayer meeting and go into the streets with a with a heart and honestly with training and preparation to have gospel conversations. And all of this stuff is something that churches of any budget and any size could actually do. Well, Jimmy, instead of you know trying to be a church that complicates these priorities of moving the needle one percent, we're really trying to make them more simple. And so you know when you think about all of these things that we want to do, if you want to focus on prayer. Well, if we can give our congregation actual tools, those tools help us. If we want to help them have gospel conversations, if we can provide tools, it helps us. And so we're seeing that and we're benefiting from that. I'm just wondering in your mind, what what actually makes a good tool? Well, there are a lot of good tools, but a good tool is very simple. It's biblical, it's simple, and it's reproducible. Biblical, simple, and reproducible. And in order to make people skilled at using these tools, they're going to have to get a lot of reps. And so just like any athlete knows, if you want to get better at something, you've got to get a lot of reps. If you want to get stronger and you're a weightlifter, it takes more weight, more reps. Same thing for gospel conversations and same thing for prayer. The more reps you get, the better and the stronger you get at it. And a lot of people say, I've taught my people how to pray. And what they really did is preach a sermon on prayer. Or I've I've taught all my people a tool like the three circles but they really just showed the people the three circles. When people learn how to do something, they've got to get reps, and that's absolutely vital. So we practice these things at staff meetings. We practice them at kids' camp and student camp. We practice them on mission trips and with small groups. We want our people to be ready with reps to get out there and pray for the lost and have gospel conversations. It's vital. Well, Jimmy, a lot of a lot of guys out there would love to have a congregation full of people that are going out onto the mission field, just sharing the gospel. Right? So that's something that really is a priority. We're we're actually going to be talking about that at our Sharper Conference in March, yeah, March one, twenty eighteen. So a lot of fun, and so you know that's going to be important. And so this has really been a teaser. Our, our next podcast, we're actually going to be talking about five strategies uh, for church growth. Five I, free strategies. Five free. Well, yeah, and we're we're actually naming the podcast five things that your church can do for free that yeah. will cost you your life. There you go. And so it may be free, but it's an all-in kind of endeavor. And so we hope that our listeners will join us next week for our podcast for Church of the Rest of Us. Thank you so much for joining us on today's podcast. I'd love for you to follow me on Twitter at Jimmy Scroggins or Check out FamilyChurchNetwork.com to chime in on our blog. We want your feedback on today's podcast. Plus, we want to know what you are doing because we want to learn from you too. Hey, until next time, 
This is Jimmy Scroggins, and you've been listening to Church for the Rest of Us.